for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. As you know, each episode we focus on a central topic. This week it's how public schools are funded in North Carolina. A new report is out of the General Assembly proposing big changes. We'll learn more about that on today's show. Now, like every week before we tackle the main topic, we open with our segment we call Headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Some controversy swirling around a charter school, Kestrel Heights in Durham, may lead to criminal investigation and charges out of the DA's office. Kestrel Heights uh, has uh, been has reported that more than 50 students who graduated in the last three years did not meet the state's graduation requirements. Now caught in the middle of all this between the State Board of Education, the Charter School Advisory Board, and the DA are these students who are now many of them in college or in the military and actually didn't meet the admission requirements for where they are. So we're going to find out a little bit more about that over the next few weeks. The other big news that came out in the last week was the final, finally ending of the governor's race. Uh, nearly a month after the election, uh, Democrat Roy Cooper defeated incumbent Republican Governor Pat McCrory. Now this picture on the screen was taken the night after Governor McCrory conceded the election. Now we don't have a picture of uh, Governor-elect Cooper after the short session, the special session uh, convened yesterday where they started taking away a lot of his powers and appointments before he even takes office on January 1st. Now Governor-elect Cooper and most incumbent members of the legislature ran on promises to invest in teachers and education. We'll have to see if there will be ways for them to work together on behalf of North Carolina students. Now, remember, you can always visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. Now, as I said at the top of the program, we're going to focus this week on the how the state of North Carolina funds its public schools. We have two guests, Sean Hamill, who works for the Program Evaluation Division. He just recently uh, was the lead researcher and writer for a new report that came out looking at school funding. And then we have Aaron Bollier. Aaron is the uh, Chief Financial Officer for Durham Public Schools. So thanks for, uh, for being here, both of you. Sean, I want to talk to you. We've uh, sort of looked, we've obviously, I've read your report. Uh, I know um, Aaron has as well. But for our viewers, can you explain <laughs> In, in, in a few minutes, how um, public schools are funded in North Carolina? Sure. The, uh, the General Assembly and the Department of Public Instruction uh, uses about 37 different allotments uh, to distribute resources across 115 LEAs and charter schools. Um, each one of those 37 allotments is intended to represent some sort of category uh, of funding that supports the enterprise of the school business curriculum. Uh, for example, there's a, a, an allotment for classroom teachers, there's allotments for transportation, principals, textbooks, and so forth. Uh, wrapped up in that are the types of resources that are allotted to uh, public schools. Uh, in general, there's two types. Uh, we allot positions and dollars, and this is how they're different. Uh, positions, uh, the state guarantees uh, the salary for a number of positions that are allotted to each LEA. Now those positions are determined based upon uh, ratios that are set in legislation and law. Uh, the state then guarantees the salary and benefits uh, for each one of those positions. Again, those salaries and benefits are also uh, set in law. Of the 8.4 billion 
that was allotted to, to the public school system in the fiscal year 14-15, about 60% of that is wrapped up in the position allotments. Uh, the remainder of the resources go down to the public schools as dollars, and that represented about 40%. Gotcha. Now, now, Aaron, I mentioned you're, uh, you're the chief financial officer in Durham. Uh, before that, you were in Pitt County, so you've actually, you're probably one of the, I don't know, handful or so uh, folks in North Carolina who probably understand all of the things that Aaron, that, that Sean was just talking about. When you look at the General Assembly considering overhauling potentially the change, I mean, what, sort of what are your initial thoughts? I mean, do you have uh, concerns? Do you think there's an opportunity to improve? Sort of what are your thoughts on that? Um, number of thoughts. The main things being around timing. Timing of what comes out of Raleigh always has a dramatic impact on how it plays out with the local budgets, budgets that are already usually passed by the time the state makes final decisions. So it's noted in the report the need to be very cautious and the uh, implications and the timelines and how they'll affect us moving forward. Um, Sean and his group did a great job explaining this, but it clearly indicates a lot of the complexities that are interwoven throughout this whole process. And a lot of times that makes it difficult in the local agencies and in the communities to make your budgets transparent because most people cannot follow all those details and complexities. Right. Now, Sean, on, in your report, you didn't just look at what our current system was. Actually, the General Assembly asked you to take a look at another kind of uh, model, uh, weighted student-based funding, I think is what it's called. How would that differ if we were to go in a direction like that? That's correct. Our, our charge was twofold. Look at the, the current allotment system and then explore other student-based models for uh, distributing funds. Um, there's a number of names out there for it. It's weighted student funding. There's foundation models. But essentially what it looks at is uh, providing funding on a per-student basis. Uh, there's a base amount or a foundational amount that uh, gets appropriated for each student. In addition to that, there are a series of weights and categories that are determined. Uh, traditionally, there are weights given to students for children with disabilities or disadvantaged students. Um, and each one of those weighted amounts becomes a function of the base amount. So what it then becomes is uh, a general student gets a, a base amount of funding and then based upon various student and district characteristics, each student would receive or generate additional money to support the education of that child. And so, and so you, like you said, you, you kind of have sort of a, a base, if you will. Let's say there's a, a, a kid in school in the suburbs of uh, Raleigh. You know, they, there may be a different weight for a child who's coming from a very di different circumstance, maybe a more impoverished circumstance in eastern North Carolina that it may need some additional resources. The school maybe uh, needs some additional resources. The, you mentioned special needs. So that's, so that's what it is. Basically, you start out with some equal number and you add on. Absolutely. It's, it starts with the base, but then it recognizes that uh, each student is different and may require uh, a, a different amount of funding to support their education. And we have to look at the characteristics of the student and, and, and start with that base as the building block and, and fund for additional characteristics. Now, Aaron, the report, and I know you've read it, um, one thing it doesn't address at all um, is adequacy. I mean, it talks about here's the, if you, whatever the amount of money is the General Assembly allocates to education, here's a different way you could possibly um, allocate it, but it doesn't tell you whether it's enough. Correct. Um, great study on the allocation process, does not get into the depths around the actual adequacy. Um, Twelve very strong findings that have different implications to different districts with each finding. Um, but first and foremost, the number one finding that tends to lend to a 
probably a thought process that might not be consistent is the overfunding of the teacher allocation to the more wealthy counties. Well, it's already a challenge with the loss of the being able to pay teachers based on their graduate pay. Uh, we got to be careful that in a state where we're already lagging behind in that compensation model, that we don't take away the ability to have the most qualified and experienced teachers. Right. In I, mean, look, I mean, look, North Carolina, you take all the money that we spend. I mean, we still we actually do report it out as a per pupil spending number, even though it's it's not per pupil. I mean, North Carolina ranks 44th nationally. So, I mean, the, the idea that we we're not talking about adequacy it seems a bit of a missing piece. Right. Right, correct. Now, then, so the, uh, Sean, back to you. In general, somebody didn't ask you to look at that. I mean, but I, I guess would I guess one thing you could potentially say is, if you went to a weighted student-based formula, it actually may make it. If you want to address adequacy, um, you could potentially get at it. I mean, you could actually, you know, really maybe get a closer uh, look at it than we do today. I think what moving to a weighted student model does it allows the conversation to shift focus on the children. Uh, when, when funding is about uh, on a per pupil basis, you then align funding with student outcomes. And once you've done that, you can then enter into a discussion of adequacy. Right. Uh, funding challenges in Durham, um, probably consistent with other, what are you seeing right now? So where, where are your uh, sort of uh, uh, pressure points, pain points? Um, again, you know, having the ability to fully comprehend what the impact is going to be district by district is huge in this piece of the equation. Um, uh, school systems are going to need that amount of time to work with their county governments to know what, whether it's going to be a plus or minus to them and what those dollar repercussions could be moving forward. Well, it's a complex issue. Great report, Sean. Aaron, thank you for being here. We'd love to have you both back on to talk some more. When we come back, we're going to be joined by another guest with a major stake in this issue. But first, as we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Where does North Carolina rank nationally in per-pupil spending? Welcome back to Education Matters. We are honored today to be joined by Representative Craig Horn, Thank Republican you. from Union County, Chairman of the House Education K-12 Committee, as well as Education Appropriations. So certainly the right guest to have on when we talk about school funding uh, primarily today. Now, Thank you. We talked to uh, Sean Hamill from the Program Evaluation Division um, earlier about the new study on how schools are funded in North Carolina. I mean, why did the General Assembly ask for the study in the first place? Well, there's been a lot of, of back and forth on uh, enough money, uh, money in, in going to the right places, how money is, uh, is that would be how money is distributed, where it comes from. It was time uh, again to take a look at this uh, as deep a dive as we could and begin the process of a fundamental restructure on how we allocate money to public education. Right now, so what do you what do you hope to accomplish? I mean, sort of what is your your end goal? You as the chairman, you're going to be uh, the the primary major player, certainly on the house. Um, well, I, that's I certainly expect to be. Yes, and I want to be. Uh, I'm I'm very concerned and have been for some time, and I think we all are, as to whether or not we're putting our money in the right places, in the right amounts, um, and perhaps in the right method, so that we, f we meet the needs of the student versus the needs of a 
of a system or a or the adults actually so a lot of questions we've got low wealth silos we've got poor county or we've got uh, uh, underserved kids mm -hmm. we've got uh, uh, rural areas uh, we've got high needs areas so all of these things I, after all these years of building a funding system it's gotten a little complicated right I'm I'm the first to tell you I don't have a, a firm handle on all of the silos and methods and and means by which we fund K-12 education. A lot has changed in this state in the last 25 years, but we're still funding it based on the same model that we did 25 years ago. We just scaffolded it, and now we've right. come into a rat maze. Right. It's, I mean, it's, you, I mean, no one can look at the uh, the current funding system and say there's all, like 37 different allotments, yeah. all the different, and say, like you said, it's been cobbled together right. with good intentions over the years, but it uh, it certainly makes sense to take a look at now. But one of the things you asked the um, uh, the General Assembly asked uh, the Program Evaluation Division to specifically look at a certain an, another option, basically weighted student-based funding. I mean, is that something that you're already committed to, or it's something that's attractive, or sort of just wanted to learn more? It's attractive. I do want to learn more. Am I committed to it? Not yet. I like the concept that it's based on student needs, as I said before, that it's student-centered funding, so that we get the money to the where it's needed most in the in the uh, amounts that it's needed most. We untie the hands of folks that are at the at the at that point where the rubber meets the road. Right, right. Now, the the report um, and, and actually, I mean, it's it's a, a very detailed and uh, excellent report, but it only focuses really on the, the the funding mechanisms and the structure itself. There's nothing in there about adequacy of funding. I mean, this doesn't That's get right. into the issue of you know. I mean, should we should the report or should you uh, should the general be really looking at not just sort of how the money goes out the door, but is it enough? And is it going uh, to the to, to doing what it's supposed to be doing? Is it enough? Is always the question. How much is enough? I think we need to add efficiencies to the process so we know whether we have enough funding here, there, or otherwise. I think the process will reveal where, more specifically, where it's not enough or perhaps where it's misplaced and one could maybe then characterize it as being too much. We've got too much emphasis in one spot and not enough emphasis in the other. So let's get a model out there that we think works, then let's plug in how much money and then we can more properly determine if it is enough and, and where our weaknesses are, where our opportunities are. And again, by focusing on the needs of the student, we're going to be more able to communicate to the legislature, to the people across this state that are paying the bill, that here's what you're getting for what you're paying, and here's how much money we need in order to deliver the kind of product that you want, a high quality education for every student in this state. Right. Now, one thing, there was a, I just read a report that came out uh, uh, earlier this year looking at states that had changed their funding formulas. A lot of them, right. you probably saw it was a New York Times story, but it was a, another report from, I think, the Bureau of Economic Statistics. But it was about, there were about 26 states, I believe, that had changed their funding formulas based on lawsuits similar to the Leandro right. case here. They found, they actually found that the states that had shifted it to put more money into uh, poor communities and poor school districts actually did see pretty significant increases in student achievement. Well, those are high needs areas. It's very difficult for us to attract and retain high quality teachers and principals in some of our more rural areas. Teachers are people. I, right. I know that 
may <laughs> sound like a shocking revelation, right. but at the end of the day and on the weekends, they need. They want things to do. They want an opportunity to gotcha. grow in their profession. They want some social outlets. They want to mingle with other people that can help them grow as people. That's difficult to find in some of these rural areas. Right. So that's why we need to take a look at that particular piece. And the kids there, the kids are being left without. Right. And no choices. Right. Let me shift gears on you. Okay. We're, we're talking to you this morning, um, uh, right during the special session that's just been called. Dozens of bills, you, you sponsored a bill, um, HB 17, that dramatically changes the education um, structure in North Carolina, it takes away a lot of power from the incoming governor who was just conceded to win the election a week ago. Um, sort of why was that done now and sort of you think that's where we should be going in terms of uh, um, sort of how we handle election results? Well, I'm gonna differ with you a little bit to tell you that I'm not convinced at all that it's as dramatic as it's being portrayed. Uh, if we look back at the Constitution and we look back at the history of North Carolina back in 1995, there was a dramatic shift, if we're gonna call this dramatic, a dramatic shift the other way. There have been lawsuits filed by our current superintendent over uh, who's got the power to do what. But at the end of the day, the Constitution of North Carolina prevails. And the the uh, superintendent of public instruction is the chief administrative officer of, of DPI and of education, K-12 education in the state. We've got an incoming uh, 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 superintendent of public instruction who needs to bring his team or her team, should, that, uh, should it be a her, but the, new, uh, the incoming person needs to bring their team in and feel comfortable that this is the direction we're going and give them that authority. Yeah, sure, that, I mean, that makes, but I mean, the State Board of Education, I mean, obviously there are some pretty dramatic changes in the State Board of Education largely has uh, very little power if this bill goes through in terms of setting policy, it all sort of shifts over whether it's the Achievement School District, the Charter School Advisory right. Board, uh, the governor no longer has appointments there, no longer has appointments in the Board of Trustees. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty dramatic they're, shift. And I guess, so, I, mean, I guess my question is, sure. is this how education policy in North Carolina should be um, sort of handled. I mean, we're talking about something that was introduced last night, maybe voted on uh, in 24 hours. I, I don't think this is yet a policy shift. This is a structure shift. It's, an, it's a shift to give the, the superintendent of public instruction the authority that that person needs in order to restructure. I think if there's any message that came out of this last election, from top to bottom, if there's any message, the public has said, we want a fundamental change in how we do business how we do the government's business. We want people to be involved. Right. Thank you for being here. You're always great to talk to and you're always candid and I appreciate it and I hope you'll come back. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks Representative Warren. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Andy Webb from Alderman Road Elementary in Cumberland County. Leadership 
Spotlight is presented by the Burroughs Welcome Fund, advancing biomedical science by supporting research and education. I am the math remediation teacher and I also serve as the Singapore math coach. I have a grant through the Burroughs Welcome Fund and we implement Singapore math here at our school and I'll be going on a fellowship pretty soon to Singapore because they have achieved the highest math and science scores on the PISA test and so we're trying to learn what their successes are so we can bring them back and help our students be successful mathematicians. And we're seeing increases where we were previously seeing decreases in our math standardized scores prior to implementation of Singapore math. We're now seeing increases and we're seeing students enjoy math more and we're seeing them be more successful. We're just reaping the benefits of what Burroughs Welcome Fund has been generous enough to allow us to do. And I'm so excited for her because she has the opportunity now to go ahead and teach and observe and learn directly in Singapore. We're going to learn and get so much more from her experiences because no matter what she's done, no matter where she goes, she keeps our students center and everything she does, she thinks, how is it going to benefit the students that we have here in our little community school. We need to educate the whole child. They come to us not just as students, they come to us as children and they're little people. They're just like us, they're just smaller. So they have the same worries many times that we have. Um, they have the same desire to fit in and it's our job to make them feel safe when they come to school physically, emotionally, and that they can be safe for risk taking so that they can be eager to learn and want to learn and step outside of their comfort box because this is what we're here for. We're here to promote the child and have them be successful so that they can end up being successful citizens. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. On the show, we delved into how the state funds public schools in North Carolina. You really can't look at the dizzying patchwork of allotments that have been cobbled together over the years to support schools and not come away thinking there must be a better way. I'm sure that's what General Assembly leaders like Craig Horn thought when they asked the Program Evaluation Division to examine it. But there was a central question missing, as I mentioned, both from the request from the General Assembly and from the otherwise excellent report. Are the resources adequate? Are we properly funding our public schools so that we meet the obligation guaranteed to every child in North Carolina the opportunity to receive a sound basic education? This week, a new study out of the National Bureau of Re Economic Research really caught my eye. They examined student test scores in 26 states that have changed the way they fund schools since 1990, usually in response to a lawsuit like Leandro, and compared those with states with 23 states that haven't changed them at all. Now, while no two states did exactly the same thing, they all had the effect of increasing funding for the poorest districts. What they found was a clear pattern. In the long run, states that send additional money to their lowest income school districts see more academic improvements in those districts than states that don't. Money matters. The size of the effect was significant. The changes brought at least twice as much achievement per dollar as the well-known experiment that decreased class sizes. 
Next year will mark 20 years since the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled in the Leandro case that the state was not meeting its constitutional obligation for a sound basic education for all children. They ruled that too many children did not have access to the core elements necessary, competent certified teachers, well-trained principals, and the resources necessary so that the educational needs of all children may be met. Now folks, we're still not there. We may very well need a new funding structure to deliver resources to our state's public schools, one that is more transparent and easier to understand. But a new fund delivery process alone, without addressing adequacy, without exploring what is truly needed to meet every child where they are, would be more than just a missed opportunity, it would be a travesty. That's it for Education Matters this week. The next two Saturdays are Christmas Eve and New Year's, so have a great holiday and we'll see you soon.